Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, Genesis 37. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a wonderful word it is because you're such a wonderful God. Teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 37, verse 29, Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it. And said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the garden. All right, now, in our last study, we saw how the brothers had caught Joseph with the intention first. They wanted to kill him. But we saw how Reuben tried to rescue Joseph as he really kind of tricked the brothers to throw him into a pit, arguing that, you know, a slow death by thirst and starvation would be much more satisfying to the hatred. And so then Reuben had actually planned to circle on back we were in a point where Reuben had circled back and he was trying to, he was really trying to rescue Joseph. That's what he was trying to do. But while he's away, a caravan of Ishmaelite traders come and Judah has the great idea, let's sell him. Let's make some money on him. Let's lift him up as a slave. And they did that. They lift him up out of the pit and they said, okay, but they didn't put his coat on him. So there's Joseph naked or half naked as he gets sold to the tradesmen. And Reuben then comes back to the pit, and when he didn't see him there, he he yells, Reuben yells into the pit, you know, Joseph, but but Reuben thinks, I'm too late, I'm too late. You know, it says in verse 29, and Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, he rent his clothes. So we picture Reuben now, and the shock as he yells into the pit there, looks down there, doesn't see Joseph, and the shock is really comes across in verse 29, where he says, behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he feels like, I'm just too late. Oh, no. And we can imagine him saying, you know, maybe if I'd stuck with the group, then this wouldn't have happened. They killed him, you know. Or maybe I should have hid myself, you know, and watched from a distance, and and then he wouldn't have died, you know. We can see Reuben, he's going through all this, what if? 
scenarios, this what if. He's all consumed by anxiety and tension all around the I should have, what if, and, and he could have prevented this disaster. And he's really in a mode of, oh, no, if only I had fill in the blank. But Reuben doesn't know what's happened to Joseph, and Joseph is sold. He doesn't know that, but Reuben is blaming himself for being too late. And as we see this, we can fall, see how easily it is for us to fall into the same situation as Reuben, thinking that we dropped the ball somehow on something, we blame ourselves, we go through the, oh no, if only I had. There are no oh no's with God. You know, and Mary, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, you know, she had one of those oh no moments, you know, from John 11, the great chapter on the resurrection of Lazarus, where where we read in John eleven three, John eleven three, his sister sent unto the Lord, saying, "Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick." When Jesus heard that, he said, "This sickness is not unto death." That was a strange thing to say. It was unto death. He died, but he said, "It's not unto death, but for the glory of God." In other words, he was saying the end result is really not death; it's the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved. Martha and his sister, her sister, and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. I mean, this is a... And and then Martha, as soon... Now we're dropping down to verse 20 of John 11, John 11, 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord... If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Can you feel the frustration in what she's saying? Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask God, he will give thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So when Mary saw the Lord, all Mary could think of was the, oh no, this is terrible because I sent for you a long time ago and you came too late. And my brother Lazarus is dead. But the Lord purposefully delayed his coming to wait till Lazarus would die. And then after us, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Then he comes. And Mary says to him, oh, no, you're too late. You know, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died, John eleven twenty one. John eleven twenty one. But the Lord was really just in time. He was just in time to raise Lazarus from the dead, and that was his greatest miracle. And he wasn't too late. So Mary thought the Lord was too late. Reuben thought he was too late for Joseph. Reuben was not too late because... All of this is because of Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But Reuben rents his clothes, which showed the severe anguish of mind that he has. I mean, it's, it's very hard to figure out Reuben. Reuben is such an enigma. It's very, very difficult. I mean, he defiles his father's wife, and he had every reason to really want to see Joseph eliminated. Why? Because he knew that what that coat meant, that, that coat meant that Reuben was replaced by Joseph. He knew that Joseph took his place, which we actually see happening in First Chronicles 5.1. 1 Chronicles 5.1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn. But for as much as he defiled his father's bed, 
His birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. I mean, Reuben knew all this. He knew that Joseph was his replacement, but he still is trying to deliver him. And when Reuben does return to the pit and find it empty, he's just devastated. And, and especially the way this reads in the Hebrew, you know, it says the words are poignant when it says, the child is not, the child is not, and I, ani, ana, I, whither shall I go? Bah, whither shall I come? Whither shall I go? So then we read what the brothers did next in Genesis 37, 31, 37, 31. It says, they took Joseph's coat, killed a kid of the goats, dipped the blood, dipped the coat into the, in the blood. So verse 31, it starts off by saying, and they, that's how it starts, right? Verse, the first, first two words, verse 31, and they. So now the first question you ask is, who are they? Who are the they? And specifically, the they actually includes Reuben. I mean, we have to assume that. So Reuben engaged in the lie with the code, which again shows that Reuben, he just is not strong. He doesn't have a backbone. He doesn't have a backbone to stand up, tell his father what happened to Joseph, So when it says in verse 31, and they, and we know that it includes Reuben, then we understand that Reuben is just a person who collapses under pressure. You know, Reuben's under sexual pressure. He collapses and defiles his father's wife. Reuben is under peer pressure. He collapses and goes along with the brothers in their lie. And this is why Reuben is described by Jacob on his deathbed in in Genesis 49.3, Genesis 49.3, Jacob looks at Reuben and says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power, unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, that's what he said to him. (laughs) Thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. Don't ever ask the rabbis for what this means. They will say that Reuben went in and turned his bed over, okay? (laughs) We're not going there, (laughs) which is one of the reasons I refused to read the book of Genesis in Hebrew with my Hebrew teacher, because she just could not help but saying to me, you know what it means? Oh, no. Okay, we're not going to even talk about that. All right. What we see, what they did with Joseph's coat in verse 31, and they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, can you really imagine this scene? They kill a goat, they collect the blood, they take Joseph's coat, and now they're dipping the coat in the blood. I mean, first they lacerate the coat, you know, cut it all up in order to make it look like some wild animal tore it apart. And then they've got it all shredded out, this coat, and then down goes the lacerated coat into the blood. Can you see it? He's picking the coat up. The blood's dripping off of it. They got to make sure they get blood all over the coat. And so they bring it up with blood dripping out. They say, well, what do you think? Oh, dip it again. Dip it again. It's not enough blood all over the coat. And then it needs more blood. And so, I mean, it's a very disturbing scene. And the coat that really was Joseph's badge of honor has now become the coat that lies, the coat that tells of a fate that really didn't happen to him. Okay, now we read what they did with the coat. It says in verse 32, they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this have we found. (laughs) Know whether it be thy son's coat or not, or no. So they sent the coat, which means 
They did not bring the coat themselves back to their father, but they sent the coat with somebody else, some servant probably, back home. Question, why do you think they decided to send the coat back to their father with servant instead of carry the coat back themselves? Why do you think? Okay, so they wouldn't be found out, but, you know, they were going to say, you know, this we found. Why would they possibly be found out if they brought it back versus a messenger brought it back? Okay, okay, right, okay, okay, right, you're on to it. So they knew there was going to be a great flood, an outpouring of grief from their father. They just didn't want to be there when that happened. They didn't want to be there when that happened. I mean, you know, this whole thing was delicate business, very delicate business, held together by threads, as was said. Reuben might be the weak thread here, and they're afraid someone's going to crack when they see this big outpouring of all this grief on Jacob's part, and that their lie, you know, he would collapse again under pressure. And also, you know, it was just, it was very messy for them to have to endure all this wailing and crying and mourning of their father. It's just easier to just let all happen when they're away. I mean, it's just a lot easier to send it back with a servant and just not risk being found out and not have to go through all of this grief and all potentially the questions, what really happened to Joseph? Now, we can't imagine that the brothers just said to the messenger, ah, take this back, say this thing. We've got to realize that when they sent this back by the messenger, that was highly scripted, highly choreographed, where the brothers told the the messenger, now listen, at this point, you express deep concern to find out if this really is the coat of Joseph, your favorite son. And we can see the brothers just putting the words right into the mouth of the messenger to say, we just found the coat in the field. You know, there was no person around the coat. You got it? You got it? You know, he's going over this very thing. They carefully instructed the messenger to ask the father if he recognized the coat as Joseph's coat or not. So they told the messenger, you tell the father, they don't know what happened to Joseph. Don't know. Just found this coat. You tell the messenger to tell the father, they don't know if this is really Joseph's coat or not. They don't know. They told the messenger, lies, lies, lies. And the brothers, they visualized how their father would grab the coat and examine every thread that he meticulously sewed into that coat and how the father would go over every laceration on how that coat was, was shredded and every bit of blood, every drop of blood that was, was on that coat. And they think, this is the final remains of my son. This is the final remains of my son. This is his blood. And the brothers must have known how their father would cling to that coat as his only remembrance of his favorite son, Joseph. It's amazing to think that as the brothers were going over with the messenger, what to say, how to say it, that they must have thought that all this was going to stab their father in his heart. They must have known that. How could the brothers do this to their father? I mean, Jeremiah 17, 9 explains the only explanation for how they could do it when it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What they're doing here can only come from a very deceitful heart, from a heart that are desperately wicked. Their hearts had deceived themselves into a state of hardened blindness, and so they could carry out with this plan. But there's something they said about Joseph in verse 32. How did they refer 
to Joseph's coat. How do the brothers refer to Joseph's coat? Verse 32. Thy son's coat. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange that they didn't say, our brother's coat? Okay, that's too much. How about Joseph's coat? But thy son's coat. You know, by not calling it our brother's coat, by not calling it Joseph's coat, it shows that they had already disowned Joseph as their brother. That's very significant. So off the messenger goes, and he did exactly what he was told to do, and he said exactly what he was told to say, just exactly as he was instructed. And when we see in verse 32 that it it doesn't say they sent the coat. It doesn't say that they sent the coat. See, verse 32 says, they sent the coat of many colors. And we see an emphasis again on the fact that the coat was a coat of many colors. You know, only there was, at this point, one extra color. One extra color on this coat. You know what it was? Blood red. (laughs) Yeah, blood red. Blood red was all over the coat of many colors. That's kind of interesting. Because when you think about it, that one of the very essential features of the tabernacle were colors. There's the color of heavenly blue, which speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as God. He came from heaven to earth. As he said in John 6, 51, John 6, 51, I am the living red which came down from heaven. And next, there was the color of pure white, which speaks of the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 8, 46, John 8, 46, which of you convinceth me of sin? And then third, there was the color of royal purple, royal purple, which speaks of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 18, 37, John 18, 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I'm a king. Now, these are the colors of the tabernacle which were like the colors on Joseph's coat. And we can think of all those colors on Joseph's coat that Jacob made when he made that coat for Joseph. And that's how we can think of the colors in the tabernacle, the heavenly blue, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the pure white, the purity, the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the royal purple, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can think of those as the original colors of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is how he has been for all eternity, God, pure or holy, king of the universe. Now, just as we can think of the original colors in Joseph's coat as Jacob made it for him, but now as Jacob holds this coat, there's an additional color. There's the blood red of the blood, which spoke to Jacob of the blood of Joseph. And so it was with the Lord Jesus Christ that in addition to the heavenly blue, the pure white, the royal purple in the tabernacle, there's an additional color. There's an additional color, the scarlet, the blood red in the tabernacle, which speaks of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as we see him in Revelation 5, 6. Revelation 5, 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. The Lord Jesus Christ is seen in heaven today as a lamb as it had been slain. How does a lamb look as it had been slain? Bloody, with blood on his fleece. So there's this additional color of the blood red in the tabernacle. Speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as our great sacrifice. Now, the next verse gives us Jacob's response when he sees the coat in verse 33. It says, he knew it and said, 
It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. So what we see in verse 33, that as soon as Jacob sees the coat, he knew it. We can feel the passion in these words. You know, it says he knew the coat. That means he scrutinized every inch of the coat, and he knew the coat. That means he remembered making the coat. He remembered how happy he was on the day that he gave the coat to Joseph. He remembered how happy he was when Joseph first wore that coat, how happy he was every time he saw Joseph wear that coat. And all that's emphasized in this words, he knew it. And it reminds us of how God the Father looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and was so happy with him at his baptism when God's voice came through the heavens and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that is what the coat said to everyone who saw Joseph. Oh, there's Joseph. He is Jacob's beloved son. Oh, don't you know? Jacob made that coat for him, that beautiful coat. And then when God the Father heard the voice of his son cry out, as recorded for us from the cross and is predicted in Psalm 22.1, Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father knew the voice of God the Son. He knew that voice. And just as Jacob looked at the blood-stained coat of Joseph and knew it was his son's, although it wasn't, but that didn't matter, that reminds us of when God the Father looked at the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing from his body. He knew it. He knew that blood. And then Jacob speaks in verse 33, and he says, it is my son's coat. Now, the very best way to imagine with all the passion how Jacob said that is to put a pause. Put a pause between it is and my son's coat. So it comes out, it is my son's coat. That's the way we can see Jacob with his beating heart, his legs now trembling, giving out from holding him up the ringing of his hands, the tears flowing from his eyes, and his speech that is stuttering. You know, it reminds me, over 25 years ago, we had a scientist working at Scantibodies, a very unstable person, and I had a friend who, uh, who knew him and worked with him at uh, the company he worked with before coming to us. And as I said, this scientist was working for us, very unstable. He went home one night, took a revolver, killed his wife, killed his son, killed his dog, and then killed himself. And so I called my friend, and when I told him what happened to him, my friend just wailed loudly on the phone. He cried uncontrollably. He couldn't talk to me on the phone. That's how I imagine Jacob was when he got this coat. And that was just not one outburst of emotion here for Jacob. This grief remained in Jacob as he looked at this coat day after day. And he thought about it, and he dreamed about it. And Jacob, could, when he's thinking about it, dreaming about it, Jacob would see those wild beasts attacking his son. And Joseph pitifully holding up his hands, trying to defend himself from these wild animals. And then, and then Jacob would hear Joseph just scream in desperation for help and see that lion sucking Joseph's blood. And then he'd see his dear son Joseph being torn apart from limb to limb and animals eating his flesh and his muscles and his organs. And then came the vultures that would carry the parts of Joseph far away to some nest of some baby birds. And you can see how these thoughts would haunt Jacob. Jacob. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.